the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a church that dwells right at the throne of Satan, but it is also a church that's got a subtle issue. We'll take a look at the church at Pergamum out of the seven letters to the seven churches next here on Abounding Grace. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace. Hi, and welcome to our program. We're continuing our survey of the seven letters to the seven churches. If you'll join us, we're in Revelation chapter 2, taking a look at the church in Pergamum, beginning in verse 12. The church of Pergamum lived at the very throne of Satan, and God was commending them for their lives, but he also had something against them as well. Let's catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner now in today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Revelation 12, 1, and they overcame him, Satan, because of the blood of the Lamb, the death of Jesus, and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even to death. So how was Satan overcome in the life of the church at Pergamum? It was done through the blood of Christ through faith in that blood and through the blood of the martyrs. One of my favorite stories is about a Romanian evangelist several decades ago by the name of, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, it's T-S-I-N, I think it's just sin. But God used him to spread the gospel all over Romania by radio messages, audio tapes, and preaching. And he used every means at his disposal. Well, of course, he was arrested by the Soviet government that was in control of the state at that time, and they threatened his life. But he was not going to be silenced. Pastor Sin said, that's all right. As long, if you want to kill me, as long as you understand what you are doing. He said, your most powerful weapon, and he is speaking now to the Soviet state, is to kill me. He said, my most powerful weapon is to die. For when I die, all of my tapes will be baptized with my blood. And there will be far more people listening to the sermons of a martyr than of a living pastor. Well, they heed his warning. And they did not put him to death. But that was truthfully spoken. And it shows that Christ destroyed Satan with his death. And we keep him under our feet by our faithfulness. Even in the face of persecution and, if need, martyrdom. Now, also understand the complaint that Christ had against the church at Pergamum. He says, you're compromisers. As great as they were, they were compromisers. Verse 14, I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold to the teaching of Balaam who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in 
the same way hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans who we looked at last week and we don't really know a whole lot about them but obviously from this they were similar to those who followed the teachings of Balaam. Now what he is saying to them is that they have compromised Satan's first assault assaults the church from outside persecution martyrdom and when he fails then he assaults it from the inside by tempting the church to compromise the persecution from the outside the martyrdom of people like Antipas could break them so Satan goes into the church couldn't break them and so uh, Satan goes into the church and starts corrupting them from within by tempting it to compromise He's saying, in essence, this outward opposition, satanic civil opposition has not harmed you, but you have fallen from within. And the compromise was with different kinds of antinomianism. Antinomianism, as I've said recently, is any view that is negative toward the law of God, that doesn't believe in its applicable, that it is applicable any longer that doesn't want the culture to live by it, that doesn't want you and I as Christians to live by it, that is in opposition to God's law as something that is obscure and overly harsh and unjust. And there were people in the church there at Pergamon who were antinomians. They were turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, which Christ, of course, as he said, hates. They were saying, in essence, that grace is lawless. And there are no specific laws to which we are to adhere in this life. We are to believe the basic fundamentals of the Christian faith and, and defend those to the death. But we also must make compromises with other worldviews and other philosophies of life so that we can be more relevant to our age and so we can communicate the faith better. And in a previous letter in chapter 2, Jesus says, I hate that kind of attitude that says you have to compromise the Christian faith to make it more palatable. Then he mentions several people, one person in particular. He mentions Balaam. Now, I'll let you look up Balaam for yourself in the book of Numbers. But you really learn more about Balaam in Revelation and the book of Jude than maybe even the book of Numbers. But you have this man, Balaam, who... Balak tried to get to curse Israel, to make Israel an easy prey for Balak's armies. Balaam refused to curse Israel because it was the covenant people of God. But Balaam was offered some very, very nice rewards if he could find some way to weaken Israel so that Balak could conquer them. Could conquer them. So Balaam, Balaam, having all this money staring him in the face, puts a stumbling block before the sons of Israel and gets them to compromise. I mean, he's thinking, if you compromise here and there, your basic standards, God will, of course, understand, won't he? So he put a stumbling block in front of Israel, and that is why the New Testament speaks so negatively of Balaam as someone who talked Israel into compromising the faith for filthy lucre. So the basic problem there with all of their strengths was the problem of compromise. They were willing to compromise here and compromise there, maybe to get along, maybe to make the gospel more relevant, maybe because they didn't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture and they believed that they needed to complete it by Greek philosophy and other philosophies. 
But nevertheless, they were willing to compromise the faith. By the way, there is one thing we need to keep in mind. No matter what, God never compromises. God never negotiates. God will not compromise his truth to save one sinner from hell. He never compromises his truth. When we compromise the truth for the sake of protection, survival, acceptance, popularity, effectiveness, whatever it is, understand that that compromise always weakens us. It does not put us in a strong position, but shows our weakness as it did in Pergamum. Where we are being tempted is from the inside to compromise with compromise Jesus Christ and his law word. So are we emphasizing clearly enough that if a man is to come to Christ and be a member of his church, he is to renounce all former ways of thinking and living? Are we strict enough in demanding from each other total opposition to antinomianism? Or are we compromising with a latent antinomianism in ourselves? Are we too lenient in our expectations of Christian obedience from each other? Do we look for loopholes in the law of God that justifies disobedience? Oh, once we start compromising the truth for whatever reason, there is no stopping of compromise beloved we must have Paul's willingness to compromise to not compromise even with seemingly insignificant truths in the word of God then after condemning them for their compromising he exhorts and warns them and he says in verse 16 therefore repent or else I'm going to come to you quickly And he says in verse 16, therefore repent or else I'm going to come to you quickly and I will make war against them with the word of my mouth. So here you see, first of all, that repentance is the first prerequisite. Your situation is not irreparable, Pergamum. You are in a precarious situation, but it can be changed and you can be rendered secure if you repent. If you turn from these various attitudes of compromise and take a firm stand all across the board with the revealed truth of God, if you repent of your own particular sins, particularly as our confession of faith says, then everything can be healed, everything can be restored. Repent, therefore. But if you don't repent, If you don't realize that compromising will destroy you and will displease me, then I am coming to you quickly. Now remember, he says that he is coming time and again throughout these letters. In verse 5 of chapter 2, he said it, and he talks about it in verse 7 of chapter 1. Remember, that is sort of a theme verse for Revelation. It is the story of Christ intervening into history by his providence and by his spirit so as to display his glory. And it says, every eye shall see him, even those who crucify him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Now, I'm sorry, but that does not have a primary reference to the second coming, as so many people believe. 
It has reference to the interventions of Christ in the history to rescue his people and to destroy his enemies. And he says to them, if you don't repent, I'm going to come to you quickly. He's not talking about the second coming. I I really want you to see that, beloved. Whether or not the church of Pergamum repented had nothing to do with the second coming. Christ would come eventually at the end of time, whether Pergamum would repent or not. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a providential coming to the church of Pergamum in their lifetime in the first century, saying, if you don't repent, I'm going to come to you quickly, very soon. Here again, we see that the book of Revelation was written in the first century. And that's where we must start in our interpretation. It says, and when I come to you, I'm going to wage war against you with the sword of my mouth. I'm going to come to your church. And when I come, I'm going to come in judgment and I will wage war with those compromisers in your church. Now, what's interesting is Christ is viewed here as a warrior, as a fighter. And this theme of God or Jehovah as a warrior is a theme in both Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me read to you quickly Exodus 15.3. The Lord Jehovah is a warrior. Jehovah is his name. So here Jesus is claiming to be God by calling calling himself one who rages war just like Jehovah wages war. And he, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a mighty warrior who will come and wage war on his compromising church. On the other hand, the fact that he is a mighty warrior guarantees the eventual success of the Great Commission. Do you realize that? As long as the warrior, this undefeated warrior, is present with his people, they cannot lose. They must win. In Matthew 28, we have the Great Commission that says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, that is, Jesus. Go, therefore, and make the world's nations my disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them whatever I have commanded you. And lo, I, the warrior of Israel, am with you always, even to the end of the earth. The warrior of Israel is always with his faithful people, and as long as he is with them, they cannot Fail. But now you have the warrior of Israel coming and waging war on this compromising church. And notice how he says it. I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. What a statement. You see, here the preached word, the sword that comes out of his mouth, which should be aimed at conquering the world and putting down and refuting the opposition, right? Right? is now turned against this compromising church. This is quite a frightful situation for the preaching of the word of God that comes from the mouth of Christ that is normally aimed at the world, but is now aimed at the church to destroy that congregation unless she repents of her compromise. So when you compromise the truth as a church, it will destroy you. God's word will Comfort and encourage the faithful, but it will destroy the compromising church. And trust me, that's very bad news for many of our churches today. Now, Christ concludes his letter to Pergamon by making this promise, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
That is, you have to have a spiritual capability before you can understand what I'm really saying. You have to have more than just physical ears to really understand and appreciate this, which meant that there were people in the church at Pergamum who had made credible confessions of faith in Christ who did not have the spiritual capacity to understand this text. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For he who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Now, here you have a penitent church that has been given three interrelated promises. God says, if you repent, even at this point, I expect your repentance, and I will bless you with three things. I will give you hidden manna, I will give you a white stone, and I will give you a new name. Now, here again is one of those places where you have to know the Old Testament to understand some of these symbols in the book of Revelation. The manna was, of course, that miraculous food that fell out of heaven that God supplied his people with while they were in the wilderness, but which they, of course, wished for onions and leeks instead. What he is saying is that what I'm going to bless you with, this hidden manna, is hidden to the world. It's not available to the world. The world not, cannot see or appreciate the source of your support and your sustenance as the church. Although the state may take away all your food, may take away your jobs and cause you to suffer. But whatever happens in life, I will nourish you, he says. I will take care of you. Those who commune with Christ will be sustained by him, even though the world cannot understand how God takes care of them. If you repent, even in this place where Satan's throne is, I will provide you with sustenance that this world cannot see. And I'll give you a white stone. A white stone was usually a piece of ivory that was your entry ticket to some kind of banquet. So here you see a symbol, and Christ is saying, I will give you an entry ticket to the messianic banquet of manna, of my promises and blessings. I'll let you in on all the blessings that come with being related to me, one of which is a new name. Now remember the word name denotes a person's character. A person's name fits his character. Jacob was the name that means sneaky rascal in Hebrew, and he certainly was a sneaky rascal until God changed his name to Israel, and then he became a prince and a faithful servant of God. So when he is saying, what he is saying to his church is, if you overcome, deal with this problem, get the victory over the compromising, and stand firm, I will give your church a whole new character just like I gave every person that follows me a new character, such as prior to Jacob coming to me, his character was depraved. And then I gave him one of integrity. I'll make your church a church of integrity. I'll give it, right, give it a righteous character. Its character will stand out in this evil culture 
so that your enemies someday who are depriving you of sustenance will not have sustenance themselves, but you will. I want you to see how this is a fulfillment of some prophecies as we close in the book of Isaiah. Here is a messianic prophecy in Isaiah 56, verse 5. To them I will give my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Isaiah 62, verse 1 through 5. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until a righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. And the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. And you will be called by a new name, of course, because they have been given a new character. Which the mouth of the Lord Jesus, of which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hands of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of our God. It will no longer be said to you, forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said, desolate. But you will be called, my delight is in her and your land married, for the Lord delights in you. And to him your land will be married, for as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. This is a prophecy that Christ, that in Christ, the people of God in Isaiah's day, marked by apostasy, will be given a whole new character. That's you and I. They will be in a whole new relationship with God, with a whole new attitude toward life. We read in Isaiah 65, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you will be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servants shall shout joyfully with a glad heart, but you will cry out with a heavy heart and you will wail with a broken spirit. You will leave your name for a curse to my chosen ones, and the Lord God will slay you. But my servants will be called by another name, because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth, and he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hidden from my sight through the blood of Christ. So here, when the Messiah comes, He's going to take care of all the needs of his people and give them a new character. And when God's people are taken care of, when God's people have food to eat and water to drink, and when they are rejoicing, the enemies of God, who were the suppressors of his people, shall suffer hunger and thirst and shall be put to shame. So here you have the conclusion of Christ's word to the church of Pergamon. And that is, if you repent... I will give you hidden manna that the world knows nothing about. I will give you a white stone and you'll have free access into the banquet hall of Jesus. And I will give you a new character. And I will provide you with all your needs when the world is without sustenance. So the choice before you and me today is Satanism or the Christian faith. Christ or Caesar. Christ or the state. This is the name of the game. 
So I ask you, which will you choose? Because understand, there can be no compromise. You either bow before and serve Christ alone, holy, or you bow before the state and serve man. And one will bring victory in life and eternity, and the other will bring you defeat and eternal damnation. Either Christ is the sovereign king over all of your life, or he is not your Lord and Savior at all. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. 8665607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Mm-hmm.